Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one platform that's transforming how market-leading sales organizations use Salesforce around the world. Move past the call reports, pipeline reports, and forecasts, and stop using Salesforce just as a system of record. Let the Exvoyant team show you how to use Salesforce as a system of impact, improvement, and performance by creating one-on-ones that ignite and inspire. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Ryan Kennedy, Vice President of Sales at Dear Employees Credit Union, arguably the fastest organically growing financial institution in the United States. In the last five years, they've doubled in size with 100% organic growth without significantly changing headcount. Now, not only are they growing fast, they're doing it right. In 2017, they were awarded the Torch Award for Ethics by the Better Business Bureau. Ryan brings a fresh approach to driving high-growth teams, and I am super excited to have him join us today. Ryan, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thanks for the introduction. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here, humbled to be here with some of the people that you've had on the podcast so far. Uh, sometimes I think we'll see if I, uh, if I belong with, uh, with those folks, but it's, it's the, my favorite uh, thing to listen to on my commute to and from work every day. Uh, and uh, just really excited to get after it here. Uh, you've, I'm excited to have you. I, one of the things we try to do on the show is bring uh, leaders that are like our, our whole definition is high growth means you're taking what the market gives and then some. And what you're doing there at Dear Employees Credit Union is absolutely that. And, and we have people from all kinds of markets, all kinds of company sizes, and, and the diversity of these leaders is what makes the show great because we're all solving different problems. And before we get into what you're doing to grow, I'm wondering if you can just introduce our listeners to your organization at Dear Employees Credit Union and what you guys do there. Sure. Uh, Dear Employees Credit Union is uh, unique in that we're very uh, traditional in the credit union sense. We're one of the few credit unions that's still a single seg, uh, one company sponsored credit union. We're exclusive to the employees and family members of, uh, of John Deere. Uh, we are, we've been in business now for, I think it's 84 years. And I think what's special about us is that well, we're a little unique in that we don't have brick and mortar branches. Uh, we're located inside John Deere facilities, uh, where members can bank where they work. Uh, we've invested very heavily into technology. And I think a lot of what we focus on and what works for us is, uh, number one, helping save our members time. Uh, they don't have to you know, waste a lot of time uh, sitting in teller lines on Saturday mornings on their days off. They can just uh, get things done really quickly with their phone or right there at work on, on a break. Um, and having the kind of high skill talent that you have to have that can deliver excellent ex- uh, experiences both in sales and service so that our members aren't left wishing that they had more. Yeah, I love it. So you're, you're hitting spots that everybody's going to think about. They, 
they, you know, they, they want to be able to get done what they need when they need it, but they don't want to feel like they've got to create uh, a special trip to go get that done. So I can see why you have some interesting opportunities to really become a, uh, a valuable resource for, for your members. Um, before we get into how you're really driving some really cool growth stories, and I'm really excited to share your story with our listeners, could you just share a little bit about you, Ryan, and, and your journey and your story and what, what led you to having the opportunity to be the head of the fastest, one of the you know, fastest growing organic sales teams in, in finance right now? I think I've had a, a, a pretty unique path. I, um, I was in college at Knox College, and if you haven't heard of Knox College, it's probably the Harvard of the Midwest. Pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, we, uh, I, I went there as a biology major thinking I was going to be a doctor like everybody else who goes to Knox College thinks they're going to be. Found out pretty quickly that uh, that wasn't going to be my path. Uh, and so I picked up a second major in secondary education. So it made sense. I was playing football there and I thought, Oh, a great career. I'll be a teacher and a coach. Uh, when I got into a little bit into teaching and did my, my student teaching rounds, I realized uh, it wasn't really the path for me because I didn't like that I wasn't going to get rewarded for being the best in or, or, or for the quality of the work that I brought. I realized that whether I am the best teacher in the, in the building or I'm showing, or I'm showing uh, videotapes uh, and taking naps in the back of the classroom, I'm going to get the same raise as the next guy every single year. That's not for me. And I got kind of duped into doing a, quote unquote practice interview at Wells Fargo uh, from one of my other friends who was in the business and said, I think you'd just be great at this. You should check it out, but just do it for practice. I showed up in my suit and tie and did an interview and just the interviewer did a great job of selling me the sizzle. And I thought, man, this is pretty cool. So I ended up taking a job with Wells and did that for the kind of management trainee and uh, assistant manager, manager track for eight years, learned a ton about people and sales uh, and certainly some difficult sales to make. But then I thought after eight years, I really needed the experience of getting back of, you know, most of that was in management. I needed to get back to uh, sharpening my skills as an individual producer. I saw uh, in 2007, this flood of mortgage loan originators leaving the industry and thought, well, if everybody's leaving, who's going to do all these mortgages? Maybe I'll jump in there and I'm used to working hard. I think I can out hustle whoever's left and, and build some market share. Uh, did that for five years, had wonderful, wonderful success there, had some really great help along the way uh, with some other folks that were doing a similar thing that I was doing. Uh, but after five years, I realized it wasn't as fulfilling as I wanted it to be. I, I just really needed to have impact on other people and sustainable impact on people's lives. And uh, so I took a step back, <laughs> took a pretty small um, kind of a mortgage management role, I had four um MLOs at Dear Employees Credit Union, but figured, you know what, I think I can make a home here, have some impact and, and see how this thing goes. And I wrote on an index card my first week on the job, I will be vice president of sales within three years. Now, keep in mind, at the time, Dear Employees Credit Union did not have a vice president of sales. But I figured that's my that's, goal. That's, a, that, well, that's something we're going to have to talk about then. I, that, I can't wait to hear that part of the story. Well, you know, I figured give myself three years. I'm either going to make it or I'm not, and we'll, you know, we'll see where, where it goes. Uh, it took 13 months, and I got promoted to vice president of sales. I was in charge of all consumer, and we just kind of lifted off from there. Um, and I guess you'll probably ask me another question. They'll take me to the next piece of this. But uh, it's, been a, it's been an awesome ride. I got to say, I mean, the things that were key here were we had amazing leadership that were very supportive of a, of a sales culture 
and we had this service culture that is just service and support culture that is off the charts. Uh, and having those two elements in place first, man, it was easy for me to come in here and start influencing how we do sales and, and growing that a little faster than it was already going. All right. So your journey is awesome. I love this story already because you said so many things that's showing why you've had a, an impact so quick. Now, let, let's get into that journey. So you get there, you, you get yourself into a job they've never had before. Uh, you're doing some interesting things. You're in a really competitive space, right? I know a lot about the financial services world. I know it's, it's a really competitive space. How do you drive growth that's better than what the market says you can have when you're facing, you know, people try to commoditize what you do and, and, and make it so the people don't matter as much. How have you driven that growth? That's a great question, and I knew it as soon as I got here. And uh, we've we've had a saying around here for the past you know several years, probably since the five years that I got here. Uh, it's called "It's not the people, it's the people." <laughs> Explain that. Let's hear what that means. Well, the idea behind that is everybody says if you ask most companies uh, or leaders, "Hey, what's your competitive advantage? What makes you stand out? What's different about you?" and they always say, "Oh, it's our people." And I'd say, "Well, that's." That's all well and good, but that's you know fundamentally impossible. If every single company has the best people, then how can my company have the best people? It's really not about uh, it's not so much about having the right people as much as it is about how well you invest in those people. And when you invest in the people and you and you show them that they're part of something special, and they get this groundswell of kind of energy going now. We're humming. Now we've got something that actually matters, and it actually does then become about the people. Uh, so when I got here, the, so once I got the vice president sales job, I took out another index card, and I wrote, uh, I will build a kick-ass, committed, extraordinarily uh, motivated, uh, and driven team. And that's all I cared about doing. It was never about numbers, never about results. It was all about building this extraordinarily driven and committed team. And we had some some issues here where there were silos and uh, some infighting between different departments and some, some competition. And we thought, and I realized like the first thing I've got to do is break that down and get everybody pulling in the same direction. And uh, that went, actually went a little faster than I thought it would. And then off we go. So, Ryan, i got to push pause. You said something that I really dug. Uh, this is really cool. I want to dive into this because everybody talks about culture. Everybody talks about people, but I love how real you are saying, listen, if they have the best people, how can I have the best people? And you know, everybody thinks they got the best people. You're going to make them, you know, become the best people, but you said you're not going to make it about the numbers, but ultimately we have to be about the numbers. How do you balance that? I mean, how do you have these people really believe that authentically and genuinely you care about their development because ultimately if you get that right, the numbers take care of itself. How do you make them believe that? Because that's unusual. I mean, too many leaders, they just try and squeeze everything out of everybody they can get. But you're, you're saying that's not what you did. Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to be authentic and genuine. You have to believe it in your heart and you have to uh, and just do and then, and then you've got to actually show it. So it's, it's basic things like, just knowing your people, knowing what makes them tick, what what makes them happy, knowing what's their spouse's name, what are their kids' name, what are their uh, what what do they like to do on the weekends? Uh, you know, try to collect that information and, and show that you really care about it. And then there's a matter of connecting what you do at work and and having some purpose behind 
what you're you're doing. And the purpose can, should be twofold. What you're doing, you should be able to connect it to having some sort of uh, uh, fulfillment. So, so if we're helping somebody identify their financial goals uh, and keeping them on track to reach those financial goals, you should just feel really amazing. You had a significant impact on that person's life. And had they not had you in their life, they might not have gotten that advice and they might not have had the financial success they could have had. So that's that's really good. But then you also have to be able to say, how does what you're doing at work matter about what you really care about at home? And so some people, and I find very few, but some people it's, oh, how much commission am I going to make? I got to make a living. I want to make a lot of money and I want to feel very successful. Okay, well, let's show you how uh, you staying you know, an extra 30 minutes tonight to make a few more phone calls or to close a couple more loops is going to help you earn more money. But for other people, it's about, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's about their, their family and fulfillment and, uh, teaching their kids how, you know, uh, how to, you know, how to have great careers of their own. So it's like, well, the better I can teach you on how to be successful in your career, the better you're going to be at teaching your kids how to be successful. And there's this why that keeps happening. And then you realize you're constantly gaining value while you work at your employees credit union. And so it makes it hard then to, uh, it makes it hard to make the decision. Like, is now the time to leave or do I stay another year and get a little bit more valuable? And then do I leave? And then that just becomes a point where eventually they look, they look around and go, I can't get what I get here anywhere else. So I'm going to stay here and keep, keep being fulfilled and rewarded like I want to be. All right. So those are two really cool kind of, I'm taking a lot of notes as you go, Ryan, and you're throwing down some stuff that I really like. The first thing you talked there was, you said we, we teach our people on, on how to you know realize we create value that people might not get somewhere else. Is that hard to do to have people really see that we actually can solve problems that matter in ways that might be harder for the people? You know, some of your bigger competitors they might be more transaction oriented, and, and it sounds like you're not. Uh, I really liked that. Can you give maybe some tactics? How does other people listening to this podcast right now? How do they teach their reps to say, value yourself based on the, the value of the problem you solve in a unique way? It's a long question. I apologize, but hopefully you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I've got it. I think what one thing that I do uh, and that my employee, my management now does, uh, my management team does, is that whenever we get, well, let me start by this. We survey members a lot. Uh, we, we, we know what our customers think. Uh, we know what they, how they feel about us. And uh, we ask for you know feedback from them on almost every transaction. We don't bug them, but you know every significant transaction they do, we get to hear about how how we made them feel. And when we get positive survey results, those are things that we make a big deal about right when we get the surveys. Uh, but we also hide those away, and I'll, I'll like I'll dump them in a kind of an inbox subfolder that'll say uh, 2018 uh, goals. And I have each one of my employees' names underneath there. And when Chris does something really well and I get a survey, I drop that uh, that survey or that email into that folder. And when it comes time to write the reviews, I don't write reviews so much about how are the numbers. Uh, I write reviews about here's the impact that you had on people's lives. Here's what people are saying about you that, uh, you know, how you made a difference for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll do that, you know, occasionally We'll broadcast uh, things like that just randomly throughout the year where it's like, man, look, you know, look at what uh, we had a member just yesterday that uh, sent this glowing letter to us about how we've done this great job of moving through stages in their life. So you were there for me when 
Um, I was buying my house. You were there for me when I was offered an early retirement and helped me find out that yes, I can, I can afford to retire early. You were then there for, uh, my kids when my kids were buying their houses and da, da, you know, and love it. That thing gets, that letter gets broadcast to everybody saying, this is what we do guys. Like this is exactly what we're aiming to do. And this is the type of stuff that we do here that literally nobody else try as they may. They are just not focused enough on the experience. For people to feel this impassioned about what you're accomplishing uh, for our members, and when people read that, they think, you know, of course, they want to do more of it. They want to have that kind of impact, and so we share a lot of stories. Uh, we capture the stories, and uh, and we make sure that those stories live on. So when we we share those during training, uh, we bring them up, you know, periodically periodically throughout the year, uh, so that that stuff uh, doesn't doesn't die. Ryan, I love this. I, I mean, I, I, you've given us, we're going to keep moving because of time, but this is fantastic how you just gave us like a kind of example on how you're teaching your, your, your uh, members of your team that you matter. And if you matter and you see, and you value why you matter and you see that, yeah, they're, they're going to naturally start to do more of that. And that's, I can see why that's led to you having such ridiculous growth. But thank you. That's, that's an awesome one. I want to talk for a second about you, you, uh, you got your ABCs. You mentioned this to me. And, uh, can you talk to our group a little bit about your ABCs and, uh, closing, clo- closing coach and changing? I-, I was really intrigued by that. And I think that that's an interesting conversation for us. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, ABCs, everybody's, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this podcast has seen Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, one of the greatest scenes of all time. ABC, always be closing, which is really cool. All right. Uh, and we talk about, so then it was here, we obviously closing is important, but we focus probably more on activities than we do on closings because we know that's uh, important. So when we say always, always be closing, we kind of mean always be doing the activities you need to be doing so that you're closing a lot. Uh, but always be coaching was the big difference for us, uh, in the early part because we weren't engaged on a you know, one-on-one type of uh, level six, seven years ago. Uh, it, so when we started stepping up the one-on-one engagement and being very intentional about what was being taught in those one-on-ones, we saw massive lift. Uh, and when, when the coaching started to fall off and we got busy with all the minutia of management and we didn't focus on engagement as much, guess what? The numbers started to slide. And, you know, just something simple like an engagement tracker. Like today, the most simple, most valuable tracker that I use is it has a tab for each one of my managers. Each tab has each manager's uh, a list of their employees. And then it has dates across the top and pre-scheduled dates that you're supposed to be, you know, having these engagement episodes. And if you had it, you color it green. If you moved it, but had it like a little light, it's yellow. And if you missed it, you didn't make it up, it's red. And we look at that all the time and we look, you know, it's just very basic notes to say, what did you talk about during that, uh, in that engagement session? But I can see we don't miss, now that we have the eyes on it, we don't miss engagement opportunities. They happen every single time on time as best we can. Uh, and if they don't happen on time, they get made up and they get made up quickly. If not, it's exposed and everybody can see it. Like the, every single person on our, uh, team from the front line to management leadership, we can see is Maggie holding her meetings or not holding her meetings. And that accountability is huge. So always be coaching. Uh, and then finally, always be changing. For me, that keeps things fresh and exciting. And, and as much as they might not 
uh, sometimes might hate it, uh, will say good is not good enough. We're really good right now. We're a lot better than most. It'll never, ever be enough. Like we have to constantly be reinventing and pushing and changing. And ultimately, while it's hard to do and it, you feel like you're never very settled, uh, it also is addicting. And you see the numbers grow across the row every month over month over month. This month of this year compared to last month of last year and last month of this year, like every month we go, we can just see that we're having growth, growth, growth. And it's all because we're constantly tweaking and changing and making the process just a little bit better. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we really stick to the process. We talk about trusting the process a lot around here. So we're going to come back to that trust of the process, but I want to stay here. I, I love it. You know, there's a lot of people that have this negative stigma about what we do. I, I, I believe that sales is the greatest profession in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that sales leadership is maybe the hardest one, but maybe the most rewarding. Mm-hmm. But I love that you're like, you took the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, everybody thinks, yeah, I'll always be closing. Uh, that sometimes makes people question motives. And you say, no, 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 no. We're going to always be coaching because ultimately our cultural value is we're going to always be changing. And if we're committed to changing, then coaching becomes important. And as a result, we will always be closing. Am I interpreting it that the right way? You're right on the money. It's exactly how it goes. Exactly. That brings up one question that I'd love to share. Like all the great leaders that have been on our show, people like you, almost always the road turns to coaching at some point. It just seems to be a real common theme of the of the, the most successful leaders and the most successful teams. And it's cool that it's a really like a keystone to what you're doing. Is it hard to create a culture where your reps buy into always be changing? I mean, a lot of times, you know, I have people tell me, oh, man, you know, I don't want to be micromanaging. And can you talk a little bit about why a willingness to change and willingness to coach is not micromanagement? Yeah. Well, boy, I, uh, I, I think to progress, you, you always have to, if you're sitting still, how could you possibly be progressing? So things have to be changing. There has to be new iterations and new learning. So if you, if you, if you kind of stagnate, which obviously stagnates a, a, a negative word anyway, but if you stop changing, you kind of say, Hey, let's just chill here for a while and see, you know, how this goes. Every time you do that, somebody else is catching up to you. And so you've got to be looking at other industries, other ideas, pull, uh, uh, pulling your frontline staff, what's working, what's not working. And we keep going. So I, I sent out an email once uh, to my, to the whole group uh, and just said, guys, I know I've thrown a lot at you. And I know that I told you six months ago, we were going to go one way. And now we've got to kind of go in a different way, but that's because that's what innovation is like. You can't, you've got to try things. You've got to be willing to try and fail and so that you can learn and keep moving forward and know that, yeah, we're changing this up and that's a little frustrating, but if we just just stick to the process, you trust this process in the end, we're going to be winners. And, you know, I remember four years ago, John Deere is going through trough conditions. We were struggling uh, and we had employees who fell off. They, they left, but they, well, I'm not making enough money. This isn't going the way I want. The coaching is overwhelming. You're, you're pushing us too much. It's not for me. Okay. That's okay. I hope that you go somewhere and you take the skills you learned here and you have a wonderful rest of your career. That's great. Bring in the next person and know, yes, there's going to be a lot of change. Yes, we're going to push you, but you're going to learn what it's like to be in an environment like this. And hopefully you can learn and apply this somewhere else. You can apply it in your life. You can apply it, you know, and it'll just continue to, to progress. And then there's all this weaving of the story. You've got to go back and remind people, this is where we were a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, and now look where we're at. 
And look at all those little sacrifices along the way, how they've paid off for the people who've stayed. And people look around and go, holy cow, yeah, I'm making double what I was making five years ago. Uh, You know, and I think, sweet, this is working. Now that we bought in, and you know that in 2022, it's just going to be that much better. So just hang in there and let's keep going. All right. That's, that is another really good nugget for all of our leaders that are listening here. Let's make sure that we get first that commitment to change and that makes coaching something that they don't just deal with. But I'm guessing, and maybe that's how we finish with this. Do your reps now, do they look forward to those coaching moments or do you think that they still have some people that are a little app- apprehensive of them? Oh, no, we uh, back to surveys. I check in with my uh, frontline staff often. Like in, uh, you know, are you, when you, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how much do you look forward to your manager coming in and, and doing a one-on-one with you? You know, one being, oh my God, I dread it. It's miserable. 10 being, I, I can't wait and I wish they, you know, I wish it wouldn't end. And, you know, we consistently rank in the eight, nine area. And if we get any, if I hear somebody say a six, like I'm on that immediately. Okay. Nice. What's going on? What's, what's, you know, what's, where are we missing the mark? And then my job as the leader is to coach the coaches and say, you know, here's what, here's what you can do to make better impact. And here's what, you, when you're doing a Q review or a pipeline review or funnel review, you know, uh, these are the things that you should be looking for, but make sure that you're seeing things from the frontline staff person's perspective too. That is so important that like you have to show sympathy for what they're going through and what their, their journey is like, cause they're nowhere near uh, on the learning curve as far along as you are. You've got to make sure that you can relate to where they're at right now and make it make sense. So we focus pretty hard on making sure that things are kind of personalized, that they're exciting. People don't feel micromanaged, but I will say this about micromanagement. Micromanagement is necessary in certain circumstances. It's just a matter of bringing the guardrails in tight enough. This is a, uh, a chapter in extreme ownership with, uh, yep. uh but you, know, you bring the guardrails in, uh, and then you slowly bring it, widen those guardrails. So, and let people make mistakes and let people kind of figure their way out a little bit. But when they, or hit, they hit the guardrail too hard, you might have to bring them back in a little bit, get them back on the straight and narrow, and then widen them back out again. Uh, I like that. That's a great, great analogy. It's a killer way of looking at it because based on each rep and their skills and their history, you know where those guardrails should be. Yeah. And don't make no mistake. Some employees, myself included, need a swift kick in the pants every once in a while. Like, <laughs> they need to know, like, hey, you're not, you're, you're, you're not fulfilling what you want to fulfill. And I need to know that because if I'm a really, if I care about being successful and if I'm starting to slack, I, I need to hear it and I step up my game and here we go. Off we go. We have a few more minutes. This has gone fast, Ryan. I knew it would. I love your energy and I love your passion. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard not to get excited and like fired up just listening to you talk. I, I could see why your team really responds so well to you. You mentioned trust the process. I don't want to not have this interview and get your your take on what it means to have process, trust trust the process, and where it really fits in, in your approach to building a, a really head-turning, high-growth team. Can, can you address that just for a few minutes? Yeah. So process has always been important to me, but nobody's put it together better. And I, I meant to look up this person's name, and I missed it. Uh, but there was a uh, – I listened to a talk. The uh, guy was – he is the – vice president of sales or something like that. But he, he is in charge of the group that uh, did season ticket sales for the Philadelphia 76ers. And okay. if you know the Sixers five years ago, they were pathetic. Like one of the worst franchises in all in like basketball history. 
But during that time, they were second in the NBA in season ticket sales. And they had a season where they think they won single digits and almost, you know, and, and broke season ticket holder records. And his whole thing was trust the process, trust the process. And then even the 76ers, you know, they're, if you see them like in their warmups, their, their t-shirts say trust the process. Yeah. No, it's, it, they've made a big, they've made a, a lot out of that whole phrase for sure. Huge. So that's kind of what I do. I, you know, I, somebody told me early in my career that, uh, uh, plagiarism in college will get you expelled. Plagiarism in business will get you promoted. So and if I, <laughs> it, I go for it. And so trust the process for us is the same deal. Like for them, it's through ticket, ticket sales. It's through, it's through their uh, basketball operations. It's through how they go, uh, how they, uh, how they, uh, perform on the court. We do the same thing. Trust the process. That's a, the process for the kind of the sales playbook that we have. Uh, when we're you know meeting with a member one on one and trying to help them have a waking moment, so they realize that they they might need this extra protection or they might need this for the product or consolidation or what have you. Uh, it's trust the process in the coaching deal. We, you know it's it's arduous and difficult to stick to that schedule and make sure that you have a one on one. I just felt like I just had a one on one. I'm gonna have another one. Yes, you've got to trust that process. Uh, and even in recruiting and hiring. You know, it's easy. We oftentimes want to say like, you know what, we've, we're one person offices. So when one person goes down or somebody moves on, it is difficult for us to keep continuity of business. And so it's very tempting to grab somebody who's pretty good and stick them in there and hope that we can coach them up. And we say, no, trust the process. I don't care if it takes us six months to find the right person. We're going to trust the process. We know what works. We know what kind of personality types will succeed here. And we'll wait until we find that person. Uh, so there's a lot of process trusting around here. And we, uh, uh, again, I think it, it, it's pervasive through our entire uh, organization. So one quick question that that gives me is, as people are listening to you and say, yeah, I, I'd love to trust the process, but I don't know if our process is good enough to trust it yet. Because uh-huh. there's, a, you know, there's a lot of people that we talk to and we work with that, you know, they frankly admit to me we, we aren't sure if our process is right. How do you know if you got the process worth trusting? Oh, yeah. that's great. You, know, you, said, you asked that question. I threw my arms up in the air like, yes, I'm so glad you asked it. That's why you always have to be changing. And you have to have a culture of being yeah. willing to change. So trust the process. And, and, and I say this too. Don't do workarounds. Like that's part of trusting the process. We, 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 are, we are relentless about seeking and destroying workarounds. Meaning, oh, I, I take a, I take a shortcut or I take a long cut because of the way that we're supposed to do it doesn't work. I say, you must follow the process every time. And then if it's not working right, break it. Please break it. The longer you do the work around, the less aware we are as a leadership team that there's a process that doesn't work. So if you know you're going to change, and you know if you trust the process and the process doesn't work, we will keep changing it. We'll keep refining it and making it better. You eventually, like, again, you'll never actually settle, right? But you're getting closer and closer and closer to the perfect process. Dude, I love that. I wrote it down. Seek and destroy the workarounds. I love it. Uh, that's a great, great piece of advice for every single person here as they think about their process. Because in the modern sales environment, Ryan, everybody wants to know, do we have the right process? That's some great advice on, on how to make sure you're building a process that, that you can trust. Because I love what you said. You better always be changing because guess what? Our markets and our customers, they are. And if our process doesn't change, then that means pretty quickly we're going to be out of touch. 
God, couldn't have said it better myself. All right, this was awesome, man. I can't believe that we're already up on it. Um, I want to finish the way I finish with everybody. There's two things that we always ask everyone. The first one, I'm really excited to hear your answer to this one. You know, favorite, uh, as you look back over your career, biggest leadership challenge and how how'd you address it? It's an easy one to, to identify. It's a hard one to address. Uh, but the biggest leadership challenge that I see is that people take the path of less resistance. Ooh, good. Not if you hire right, they're not taking the path of least resistance. They're not talking about lazy people. They're actually talking about very smart people whose brains will tell them, you know, there's an easier way. And the easier way isn't necessarily following the process. It's maybe taking a bit of a, of a shortcut. And uh, the path of less resistance affects everybody. If you're human, you take the path of less resistance. It's just what you do. Uh, you know, you should, you know that you should eat, uh, very healthy and maybe make yourself something nice, uh, you know, something, uh, wait till you can get back to the grocery store or to your home and make something nice to eat, but you're in a hurry. So you stop at McDonald's, eat something that's really bad. That's path of less resistance, right? Basic stuff. But our members and, and prospects take the path of less resistance. It's easier to just stay banking where I'm banking today and not switch over, right? We've got to fight through that. Uh, our, for our salespeople, it's easier to think for the for the prospect and think, ah, they probably aren't going to want this product, so I'm not even going to bother asking them about it. Uh, for our salespeople, you know, it's 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 easier to ignore the signs and you know look busy, whatever. And, and I do it too. Like certainly, it's it's easier to send an email than it is to make a phone call. And I've got to push myself every once in a while to say, no, 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 Ryan, pick up the phone, call Sarah, and tell her what an amazing job she did with that member. It what a great so. example, right? What a great example. I mean, that's what, you hit one of my pet peeves. People are not talking anymore. They're just texting and emailing now. So I'm, I'm so glad you brought that one up. Uh, yeah. what, what a great leadership challenge. Sorry I cut you off, but you fired oh. me up. I had, I had to sound off, man. Good. That's my job. Fire you up. <laughs> I got my job done. I'm feeling good. All right. So that's, that's a killer leadership challenge. You're right. It is hard, but I, I love your approach to, to, to beating that. Last question that I ask everyone. Uh, and I'm, and I'm excited for what your answer will be on this one as well. Leaders just so often are readers and, and you've actually plugged me into a great book that you gave me as a gift. And I appreciate it. I've already consumed that one. As you look at the things that have helped you be a, a, an effective high growth leader and build a team that's smoking the market, you've got a team that loves working with and for you. Uh, your turnover is, is something that's impressive. Uh, all of these metrics that everybody wishes they had, you're, you've developed those. Anything that you would suggest to people that are on their leadership journey that they ought to be reading as well? Well, I think I was given a book, and oh gosh, I think that's the person signed this. I'm holding it right now. This had to have been in 2002. Uh, it probably fits in my pocket. It'll be the most simple read that's on your list, I think. Uh, it's 56 pages. It's a okay. book, called, book called The Ship Builder. And uh, it's kind of like a parable with these five principles. And when I think about the things that have led to my success, I go back and look at these five principles and go, oh, my gosh, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. And uh, I think that is by, by far and away one of the biggest influences uh, I've had. It's, just, it's not just taking it for granted of a 56-page book. It's actually uh, living and uh, kind of living those principles works really well. You know, that's probably my number one. When I look at my greatest hits on my credenza here, of course, Extreme Ownership, I've heard mentioned on your uh, yep. podcast before by Jocko Willink and Luke Babin. Their follow-up, Academy Leadership is amazing. Uh, and then I'm reading, I got the Challenger Sale. And 
One book that I think is pretty cool, it's not really a sales leadership book, is The 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. Hmm. And it's kind of, it's a very, very impressive, extremely thoughtful uh, book. There's also, interestingly, some uh, pretty cool parallels between that, which was just written, and uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was written in, what, 36 or 30, 1936 or something like that. I mean, it's yeah. really, uh, but it's, it brings a few of those principles back to life, uh, which I think is, is really cool. Those are all great ones. A couple that we've heard and a couple that are new, all are ones that people should, and I can't wait to get my hands on the shipbuilder. I, I'm going to, I'm going to grab that one. You could get it today. You could get it today and you have it read by lunch. It's a short one. Uh, I will say too, that I think it's important. Leaders are readers to encourage your frontline and, uh, and, and kind of, uh, sales management staff to also read and to consume podcasts and content. Because I know in my twenties and thirties, I should have written, should have read a lot more than I did. And I didn't because I took the path of less resistance. Nobody pushed me to do it. Uh, and I think we try here as best we can to push content to people, put people in positions where they kind of have to do a little bit of research or maybe they've got to read a few chapters of a great book and then uh, report back on it. Like a brown bag lunch, uh, brown bag, uh, lunch club or book club or something. Anything you can do to get people consuming, uh, content that'll help them in their careers or in their lives is tremendous. Ryan, this was a killer episode, man. I'm so glad we got you on. Uh, your, your perspective is spot on. This is going to be a great episode that I, I can't wait to, to listen to and, 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 and share with many people. I, I want to thank you. How do our how do our listeners when they hear this? How do they reach out to you? How do they get more of what you're thinking? How do they learn more about you and follow you? Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best place to find me. Uh, they'll might misspell my last name. That's a tough part. It's not Kennedy with a K and E. It's Kennedy, C A N N A D Y. But find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I also you can also follow. I do a lot of when I do things that are uh, it's not the people. It's the people type of activities. I use the hashtag, it's not the people. I also use a hashtag, level up on LinkedIn. Uh, Those are two good spots, I think, to keep track of what we're doing here. Uh, And then, you know, Dear Employees Credit Union is exclusive to Dear Employees. So if you want to join that, unfortunately, you've either got to be, you got to, you got to work for John Deere. So uh, (laughs) welcome you to work for John Deere. We'd love to have you as part of the credit union too. All right. This was a killer episode. Ryan Kennedy, he is on a mission to seek and destroy the path of least resistance. He's doing it because he knows his ABCs. He's committed to always changing, consistently coaching, and as a result, his team is closing at crazy, crazy rates. Uh, Ryan, VP of Sales of the fastest-growing, organically-growing financial institution in the United States, Ryan Kennedy. Thanks for joining us, and happy selling. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Rob. Have a great day, man. Appreciate you. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I thought Ryan was a great way to kick off the year. Ryan had so much good insight for us. And what I love about Ryan so much is everybody comes on and talks about coaching, but Ryan is a freaking coach. If you think about how he started the whole thing, he talked about how he took a card out and wrote, I will, and then blank, and he filled it in. And I'm going to talk about how he filled it in here in a second. But I want to go, it reminded me of two stories that I wanted to kick this so what off with. The first one is from Sir Vincent Peale. He was uh, on a sabbatical into the Orient, and he ended up in a 
tattoo parlor. And he was looking at uh, the tattoos that people used, and one of them said, Born to Lose. And he went to the tattoo owner, parlor owner and he asked him, do people really put this on their body permanently, Born to Lose? And when he tells what happened, I can only imagine it in a way like Mr. Miyagi would ever say. He looked at Peel and he said, before tattoo on body, tattoo on mind. And what he was saying is, before you do anything, you think about it. And that takes me to the second story. It's from Earl Nightingale. He gave one of the most famous speeches ever called The Strangest Secret. If you Google it, Strangest Secret, if you have not heard it, Google it and listen to it. You will thank me. Uh, you can hear it in his own voice. But basically he said he made the comparison of, of your mind to a farmer's field. Where he said a farmer can plow one uh, row on the right and one row on the left. And on the right, he can plant corn. And on the left, he can plant the world's most dangerous poison, nightshade. And if you fertilize them both and you water them both and let the sun shine down on them both and weed them and, 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 and let the ground grow, the ground does not care what was planted. On the right, the ground will return corn. And on the left, the ground will return poison. It just doesn't care. And he went on to say that the mind is the same way. What you plant in your mind is what the mind is going to yield. And what you think about first is what you will do. And so I speak at a ton of sales kickoffs, and I'm in that season right now. And one of the things I like to challenge sales leaders and salespeople to do is to be very intentional about what goes after the words, I am. I encourage people to have I am moments. I am what? And Ryan started this whole thing off with his I am approach. When he said, I am building a kick-ass, committed, extraordinarily driven sales team. And he literally filled it in on that card. I imagine he probably still has it. And he talked about, not only did he write it in the card, but then he freaking did it. And he talked about three things that he used to help do it. The first was his com commitment to growth. His whole focus was around impact. I loved it. Uh, it wasn't just more sales and it wasn't just more dollars. Uh, it was growth that each rep cared about individually. You know, he talked more than once about finding ways to create value for his employees that they wouldn't find somewhere else. Because you got to give them more than just a good job. And that really drove how he connected with each member of his team. And I can vouch that this works. It's why I stayed at Zions for 10 years. I've had a lot of people say, how'd you stay at Zions for 10 years? You know, didn't you feel like you were stagnating? And it was the opposite of that. Zions found ways to change the challenge for me year in, year out. And I stayed because I had things to do and, and lessons to learn and growth that I needed to have happen. And you should take that same playbook and say, how do we change the challenge? How do we make, you know, so our reps are finding ways to grow year in, year out, so they stay. That led to number two, his ABCs. And it wasn't just the standard always be closing that, you, that has become uh, so popular with so many people. For him, it was always be coaching and then always be changing. And I loved it. You should go back and listen to those things. There was a ton of great value around there. He talked about how coaching drove almost immediate growth. And his world at, at Deer Credit Union, the coaching has become a non-negotiable. Now, it's amazing to me because he's one of the few that really have a process to the coaching. He talked a little bit about the coaching process. You know, I've seen lots of companies talk about coaching. And they've, you know, everybody that gets on this show talks about coaching. But Ryan has a coaching process. It's something you should learn from. It's something you should think about. Jim Dickey is a good friend of mine. He's an advisor to my company. I was on the phone with him last week, and I asked him, Jim, how many companies would you say have a sales process? He said 98% or more. I asked him, 
what percentage of those same companies have a coaching process? He said, I believe it's less than 3%. I think Jim's right. And one of the reasons that Ryan has had so much success is he has a coaching process. It's a non-negotiable, and as a result, when the coaching has gone down, the results have gone down. Make sure that you give your leaders a process for how to coach, which takes to really that number three, everything was about how the process created impact. Go back and listen to his organ- to his, to his, his uh, podcast uh, comments. They celebrate the impact stories. They don't in- celebrate the great big deals. They celebrate what they did to create impact with their members. They celebrate how they create impact with their colleagues. Be that leader that's impact-oriented, not activity-oriented. Too many times we think more activities equals more results. If we adopt an impact uh, perspective, an impact orientation, what you'll find is every time you interact with someone in those ABCs, always be coaching, which, by the way, led to the second one, always be changing. I shouldn't have skipped that. He talked about when you get committed to change, it's intoxicating. And he is on this mission to seek and destroy workarounds and seek and destroy status quo. And if your team believes that you'll always be changing, it's super easy for them to buy in to what you're doing because if it doesn't work, you'll change. I loved Ryan. I hope that you found that his episode was a great way to kick off the year. I saved it for this this uh, kickoff one because everyone is kicking off their year. Make sure you kick off the year with I am moments. I am what? Literally write it down. Follow that example of Ryan and write it down and then go out and make sure you know your ABCs. Always be coaching, always be changing. And if you do it in a way that's process driven, you can trust that process because it will create impact. I hope that you thought this was a killer start. I hope that you're ready to rock and roll and have the biggest year you've ever had. And as always, don't worry, just execute because we got you. I am excited to bring the next lineup of guests. We are going to raise the bar and we are going to help you have more best practices on how you create impact, how you stay relevant, and most of all, how you become legendary with every member on your team. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exploit at exvoyant.com.